two words of explanation. This is a pulpit. <laughs> and uh, our pastor is using this time to spend with his father in Pennsylvania. It's uh, a good thing that he gets to be away. And I'm uh, very grateful that he has asked me to fill in for him. At the end of last week's sermon, Pastor Mike asked us, is God communicating with you? We know that God is always at work around us, in us, through us, and we need to hear his voice to do our part in his work. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So did he speak to you as you thought about being a disciple this past week? Did you think about being a disciple this past week? Did Jesus get between you and your distractions and give you a chance to grow closer to him? God won't force us to be disciples. But when we choose to do that, he grows us into what our pastor called relational maturity. His goal for all of us who follow Jesus. Paul called it being conformed to the image of Jesus. And said that we are constantly being changed as from glory to glory. As we mature in our relationship with our Lord. That's our context. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you that you call us to follow you. Lord, it's a challenge, an adventure, sometimes a trial. Teach us, our Father, as we follow you, that we might become disciples who look and sound and act like our Lord, Jesus. I ask this in his name. Amen. Jesus taught the crowds with parables. But he intends for us, his disciples, those who have chosen to follow him, to understand the greater depths of his stories. To you, he said, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't teach us so that we can become spiritual know-it-alls, but so that we can do what he calls us to do, and that is to make disciples and to glorify God. Parables are just simple stories that use human characters to teach a moral or a spiritual lesson. They're, they're geared to specific audiences. They use words, images, ideas that are familiar with those audiences. And they emphasize one single point. So to understand that point, as you look at a, par a parable, you have to understand two things. Answer two questions. First, what overarching idea or image is the narrator trying to communicate with this story? That's often the easy part. 
The second question is, what does that point have to do with me? That's always the harder question. Parables are for everyone. They teach simple truths about God and His kingdom and His love, His relationship with us, but they go far, far deeper. And understanding those depths is for the disciples of Jesus. Those who have forsaken all else to follow, to learn from, to obey our Lord. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Discipleship is key here at Gaten. We have this starting line instruction that gives us a common vocabulary. It gets us all speaking the same language about following Jesus. We learn those foundational biblical truths about our up, in, and out relationship. Our daily rhythm of building our relationship with God. Of allowing Him to transform us into the image of His Son. And then reaching out from those depths to make disciples and serve others. It's an intentional foundation for what we do here. And we can only do that as we listen to and understand what our Lord says to us. That's the starting place. And it takes the emphasis off of me and puts it where it needs to be. Jesus? What is His will for me? What is He doing in and through and with me? What is He saying to me today? How is He calling me to respond to Him? Well, the clearest way God speaks to us is, of course, through His Scriptures. And that's where the parables come in. Jesus lays a foundation for his followers then and now. Think about the parable that was just read. What image came to your mind? It was of a man scattering seed, wasn't it? Some of the seed is eaten by birds, some lands on rocky places with little soil and the plants die because of a lack of nourishment. Some lands among the thorns and the plant grows up, but the seedlings are choked out where they started. And some seed lands on good soil. It takes root and it produces a harvest. What lesson does this quick little word picture paint for us? In one word, I think it's extravagance. If you only sow a little bit, you're only going to reap a little bit. But if you sow much seed, you can expect to reap a larger crop. Paul said, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We could almost say amen and end it there, couldn't we? But there is more. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. There is more, but... The disciples hear this simple story, they get the picture, and they go to Jesus and say, so why do you use parables? What is it that you're trying to do? Well, I hope you heard Jesus' explanation last week in Pastor Mike's sermon. The world is not capable of plumbing the depths 
of Jesus' teaching. That is for us, his disciples. So let us look now in Matthew chapter 13 and begin at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The seed was sown into the heart of a person. But because of their lack of understanding, Jesus said, because of a lack of somebody coming alongside and explaining, mentoring, discipling them, our spiritual enemy snatches that seed from their heart. It is gone. These are those unfortunate folks who, as older people used to say, miss heaven by 18 inches. It's in the head, but it doesn't get down to the heart. They hear, they understand. They may even think that it's true. But they don't act on those thoughts. They don't trust. Jesus continues, And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. We receive the word with joy. The hearer truly repents. They trust Jesus. They ask him to forgive their sin, to give them eternal and abundant life. But it's temporary. At some point, They let their doubts and the world talk them out of what they believe. What could possibly cause this? Well, Jesus listed two things. Affliction, the troubles, the woes, the difficult things that hit every one of our lives, or persecution. We're all familiar with affliction. Most of us have no idea what persecution is like. But I think it's coming in new ways in our world. Through confusion, through lack of authentic discipling in the church, and through this whole post-Christian worldview that won't accept something as being true. It leaves us vulnerable, confused, weakened. Recently, Joshua Harris, a well-known pastor who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, wrote this, By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. Twenty-two years after writing a book that changed so many lives, he said, I was wrong. I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't know what his eternal relationship is with God, but it is clear that he has stopped following him as a disciple. My prayer for Joshua and for all of those spiritual seedlings 
who have apparently fallen, quit, turned away, my prayer is that the faith that God implanted in their hearts when that seed was sown will yet come to full flower because of the power and grace and mercy of our Lord. So Jesus continues. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Worry. Concern about things. Sometimes important things, families, usually wealth. They choke the word of God. The plant, while still rooted, still in good soil, survives. But that's all it does. It is, Jesus said, unfruitful. So it is with so many disciples who begin the journey of faith. They start strong. But too many cares, too many desires, too many problems. And they lose that healthy relationship with their Lord, the one who saved them and gave them hope for eternity. And they are unfruitful. But the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. We hear Jesus' teaching, we accept it, we receive it, we understand it, it nurtures our faith. We forsake all other lords and masters. We take up our cross. We follow. And when we do, we bear fruit. It's inevitable. It's almost as if we cannot prevent God from producing an abundant crop in our lives when we stay nurtured in the soil when we don't allow ourselves to be choked out. Who's the greatest teacher that ever lived? Just a little hint here. Whenever a preacher or a teacher asks a question like that, the Sunday school answer is always Jesus. Jesus spoke the truth. He told his disciples and the crowds about the kingdom of God in these wonderful stories that everybody could understand. Now, as a rule, these parables explain how God relates to the world. They look, or they explain what life looks like in the kingdom of heaven. So we should always start there when we look at the parables. In fact, most of them give us a real hint. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. He tells us what he's trying to tell us. And he uses images that everybody knows about, lost possessions, finding treasures, the dangers in human life. He gets our attention. He shows us that God is Redeemer. He began 
our faith. He planted that seed, and in him, he brings it to completion. Or as the Bible says, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I think it's interesting that Jesus did not introduce this parable that way. Up until this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is dealing with who God is, who we are in relationship to Him. He makes it clear that God's way is not man's way. He states that basically there are two foundations for our lives. God's way and anything else we can dream up. One is like a foundation of sand. The other, stone. After explaining this, he cures the sick, he forgives sins, he calls his disciples and teaches them what it means to follow him. And then, he turns to the crowds that are following him everywhere and explains that choice to them. And to make sure that they understand that truth, he makes it clear that the person that they think is the Messiah is indeed sent from God. But his kingdom is not at all what they are expecting. The Messiah is not going to act like they want him to act. He's going to act the way God calls him to. And he doesn't go a whole lot further when he addresses the crowd. But then he turns to his more advanced students. He gives them, or dare I say, us, a look at the practical explanation, the application of this parable. What was the key issue for the disciples as Jesus was teaching them? It was making disciples. So the issue isn't, as he examines this parable, it's not what kind of soil am I? And it's not even, what kind of soil is that person that I'm trying to reach with the gospel? I think what Jesus is calling the disciples to do is that when the seed, that is, when we share our faith, when we explain the gospel to someone, when we reach out to somebody with love and mercy as if, Jesus were reaching out to them through us. When that seed falls on anything other than good soil, what do we do? How do we help that person? Wherever they may be starting. Well, we can't change the type of soil. But God can. Think back on your experience. Did God maybe have to do a little bit of uh, soil transformation for you? God made his word take root in our hearts. Only he can do that. But we have to be faithful to sow that seed. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is we have to do it extravagantly. Keep scattering it. And scatter more of it. And if it falls on difficult places, don't worry. Because the Holy Spirit's there. 
So as Jesus looks at each type of soil and explains what they represent in his narrative, he refuses to connect the dots for the disciples and take them by the hand and lead them one step at a time. And in essence, he tells them, you figure it out. What is it you need to be doing? He knows what our minds are like, and I'm so grateful that he takes into account my absolutely terrible memory. He knows that for me the spirit is willing, but the mind is weak. And the Holy Spirit reminds me, often multiple times, of what Jesus is telling me, what he's calling me to do, who he's telling me to conform my life to. So Jesus does this for his disciples. He speaks, and we dig deeper into what he's saying. He teaches them how to listen to him. And that's a whole other series of sermons in itself, I think. How do we dig deeper? How do we listen to Jesus? I think there are four steps. First, we have to start by being a disciple of Jesus. If we are not, then the understanding of the parables is not granted to us. If you haven't made a conscious, intentional decision to forsake all others and follow Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that's where you have to start if you want to solve the puzzle. Jesus didn't call the crowds who listened to him to plumb the depths of those mysteries. He expects it, though, of us, his disciples. If you aren't sure how to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus told them what to expect in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 42. You might want to go read that at some point. If you've gotten off track in your following of Jesus, that's an easy one to take care of. Admit it. Ask him to forgive you. And ask him to get you back on track. You can do that this morning. Then, since we know that we can't rely on our own understanding, we have to ask God to shine a light on this puzzle so that we can see and understand. Expect Jesus to explain it to you. To give you all the information that you need to understand it. What kind of a teacher would try to teach algebra to a second grader? Jesus makes what we need to know clear to us. The Bible says that that word is near you, already in your mouth and in your heart. Then, when you've asked God to lead... Figure out what is that one central point, that image, that nub of truth in the word picture. What is the kingdom of heaven like? And it's usually a very simple thing. With your starting point there, then comes the hard work. And there is no six point, do this and you'll understand. I'm sorry. Then... Seek God's guidance about what is my response to that truth in this parable. How does it equip me to make disciples and to glorify God? What is it 
that I need to start doing or stop doing? What must I change in my life? What must I give away and what must I seek? When you ask God for that, He will show you. Be prepared. But when He shows you, that's when the fun begins. Go. Follow Jesus boldly. Make disciples. Glorify God. Let's pray. Father, in this time, you've made it clear to us what you expect of us. It's a little frightening. It's new. We sense how serious it is. Help us, Lord, to trust you to be that perfect teacher. Help us, Lord, to turn to you in faith and obedience and help us Lord to become the disciples that you have created and called us to be I ask this in Jesus name Amen